everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Shaken and Stirred show. It's been quite a week and I have quite a guest for you. In fact, you don't know this, but we had a little bit of technical difficulties getting him on. But I'm not here to embarrass our guest. Oh, no, no, no. He's in fact, <laughs> and he, he asked me not to even go there. But he's no. phenomenal. He is unbelievable. His voice is extraordinary. Our guest today... And I've used this word already once, but he is an extraordinary singer-songwriter who I first noticed when he received a four-judge chair turn on season seven of NBC's The Voice. Uh, I know you're all thinking back, who could, it, who could it be? And you probably remember his songs have hints of soul and Motown. And although he's blind, he sees life in a unique light and his shape stirring everywhere he goes. Please welcome Blessing Offer. Blessing, how are you, buddy? Nigel, I need you to come up with a better blind pun, please. <laughs> I know that is shocking. You know, not my. Oh my, my god! Not oh, my best. Wait, wait, wait. My best work, but you know, it, it, you... it's like you are just extraordinary. When I just look at your life and what you've done <laughs> and what you've achieved, it is bonkers. I want to go there. I want to get into the details and everything. But before we get there, we always do this on the Shaken and Stirred show. What are you drinking? Spicy margarita. Spicy margarita, uh, favorite. Is that, is that a favorite of yours? I, I, you know what? It's funny. I just discovered it probably three weeks ago, and yeah, hundred percent. Just three weeks ago. Yeah, it's no. I was normally just like a straight margarita person, but the spicy, it's got a little obviously spice to it. And what, when did you first have your get into margaritas? You know, by the way, spicy margarita is probably the number one drink drank by our guests. So you're in good company. Everyone good. loves a spicy margarita. You know, here's the thing. I I will confess to to being kind of a wuss. I'm a I'm a lightweight. So the margarita is kind of I think one of the more generic drinks for people who are like need a little like help on the palate end, you know what I mean? So the spicy margarita is kind of the one step into a little deeper into the pool for me. I get it. And listen, yeah. do you have a certain way of making it? How do you, you know, how do you do it? L literally, I'm not even going to pretend otherwise, mixes. <laughs> Mix, I just, it's, all, it's all mixes and I just like crush some um, jalapeno into it. That's pretty much it. And, and what are your mixes? What are your, what's your tequila you go to? The cheap kind. I, I don't have a number one yet. So <laughs> wow, the cheap kind. We're not even naming names here. It's so no. cheap. He doesn't even want to say what it is. No, sir. <laughs> you have to get on the tequila bandwagon. And especially by the way you're sipping it right now. I'm like, it better not you know? be too cheap. You're going to be on the floor by the end of this interview. My goodness me. There's some good tequila oh. out there. You know, I just got into bourbon. Okay. I just got into bourbon and I just like four roses. And and um, Blantons and all these kinds. So I, I step at a time, step at a time, step at a time. I hear you. You are you living in Nashville, so bourbon is a good drink out there, and there's a lot of exactly. people drinking their bourbon in, in Nashville and exactly. all the rest of it. You know, look, I in honor of you because I kind of knew you were drinking a tequila, a, a margarita with tequila. I decided to do straight up classic margarita. And, you know, and Ooh. for all of you guys who are out there, you you know, I've talked about margarita many many a time, and it, it's one of those drinks where. I'm not sure how much you know about the origin of the margarita, but it's one of those drinks that it's more common and popular in the US than it is in yeah. Mexico. People yeah. don't really go there, don't really drink it. In fact, people like a Paloma more in Mexico than they do here. But 
it has an interesting origin. You know, the, the name itself comes from somewhere in the 1940s, we think. Although there's one story that claims the drink was created in 1938 in a Mexican restaurant with an owner whose name was Carlos Denny Herrera, who mixed it for a gorgeous Ziegfeld showgirl, Marjorie King, right? So Marjorie King apparently- Margarita. Yeah, Margarita, exactly where the name came from. But apparently she was a bit fussy, right? She didn't like other drinks. And so he he mixed up this concoction with tequila, which was the only drink she could stomach. There's another version of this story, which says that Texas socialite Margaret Sames, again, a.k.a. Margarita, Margarita, first mixed the drink at a house party in Mexico in 1948. And there's another story, again, saying Rita Hayworth, whose original real name is Margarita Casino, if you didn't know that, um, had this drink in Tituana in the 1940s. But if oh there also happens to be a cocktail book called Imbib, where the historian David Wondrich agrees that Margarita was invented um, in the same time period, the 1940s, but says the drink evolved from the Daisy, which is a classic oh. cocktail popular at the time that mixed alcohol, by the way, any alcohol, citrus and grenadine and was served over shaved ice. Now, the Daisy in Spanish is Margarita, right? Huh. So there's a whole bunch of different origin stories for you. Wait, wait, Mine which one is, do you subscribe to? I think they're all probably BS. It's probably a mixture of everything. <laughs> You know what I mean, I think it's. A, I like the Daisy concept. You yeah, know? and, yeah. and it, it, I, I, I like the, I like the show. What did you say? The first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mexican restaurant, um, Denny Herrera, the Carlos Denny Herrera, who mixed the for a gorgeous Zegfeld showgirl. Marjorie. I like that. I like that concept. Yeah, well, you know, there, there's a lot in a story, right? A stories <laughs> right, right here. So, cheers, my friend. Cheers, and, and yeah. welcome to the Shaken and Stirred show. We're shaking thank it now. You, thank you. Thank you. Hmm. Okay, let's get into this, because you have an extraordinary story, as I mentioned, I, I talked about, you know, obviously, the voice I, in, in your intro, but there's a sort of, you come from Nigeria, yes, you came over as a kid, talk to us a little bit about your childhood, take us back there for a moment, bring let people into your life and let them know where you came from. You know, Nigeria, people, people find it amazing that I still remember as much as I do about being being home, but like Nigeria is one of those places, it's kind of like a catch 22. It's like, people don't have a lot, but they know how to have joy, you know? So anybody who's ever been to Nigeria or pretty much any part of Africa, or I would even say any third world country will find that the people who have little will give you any and everything. Mm -hmm. And that they somehow have unlocked the secret to life, which shockingly enough has nothing to do with material possessions you know what i mean um so as a kid i just remember being from home and just being enveloped in in joy just like inexplicable no reason because where i'm from like if nothing's wrong then everything's great <laughs> you know what i mean if you can't put your finger on anything wrong then the default mode is joy because you're here and you're probably full and you're probably you have family around and nothing's wrong so i came to to america with like a really well-developed sense of just default happiness you know what i mean except, um, except saying that you if i'm not wrong because again i'm mm -hmm. looking at what stuff i've read you mm -hmm. came because you were sent because you had glaucoma in one of your eyes yeah. so yes, that sir. wasn't exactly perfect right you you were no you, not at all you were leaving your parents right yes so, sir that in itself was a big, you know, shift and a move. That must have been 
I, you know, you said you came with that sense of joy, but yeah. regardless of all those things, you still had a sense of joy. You know, it, it, there's a, a resilience in kids that for, for most kids, everything is an adventure if you let it be. And I can only think back and go, America was just exciting. Yeah. And then there was a, there was a point when like missing my parents became real, like three, I always tell people when me and my uncle landed in JFK, my first 10 minutes in America, I fell in the snow and I was like, let's go home again. Like <laughs> I, I fell in the snow. I was like, snow is way more attractive in pictures than in person. So, you know, and, and my uncle goes, you don't just go home blessing. Like this is America. Like we, it, that trip was a lot. And, and, you know, it's not as simple as turning around and going back onto the airplane. So the adventure lasted, I think like two, three, four weeks. And then I was like, okay, I want my mom and dad. And he goes again, like we're here for a, for a bit of time. And so the, the portion where you miss home and miss your parents and miss your siblings, I think was easier to go through at six and seven than it would have been at 18 and 19 or any other age. You know what I mean? Because I would miss them, but then I would go to first grade and then I'd be like, Oh, look, a toy, you know what I mean? And then just six year old uh, resilience kicked in seven, eight year old resilience. You know what I mean? So eventually America became home. No, I, I do understand. Actually, I mean, I, I, my only knowledge of that is the fact that I actually went to a boarding school. So and exactly. I, right. And I went when I was old, a little older, but eight, yeah. eight years old. Yeah. But I and I same similar, you know, your parents yeah. drive off and they leave you and you're screaming, you're crying, you're absolutely yeah. hor horrified. And for the yes. first month, you're probably miserable. And then all of a sudden, that's all you know, and your your friends become your brothers and sisters and you yes. kind of shift. And is that a similar thing that you went through? 100. I mean, your friends and and just the newness of everything becomes everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and maybe even at some point, you start feeling like a little bit of independence, you know what I mean? Uh, because it's like, oh, wow, I'm on my own. And, and I don't know, there's, there's, I guess adventure is the best word. You know, there's just like a natural adventurousness that kids are, are inclined to. And so everything new and unfamiliar is an adventure. So yeah, I think that's, that was a huge help for me. Just getting into your story. You know, I'm reading here that it was around age nine that you had a backyard accident that left mm -hmm. you completely blind. And it, it seems something you know, and, and I, this is something that I, you know, you, your music is not defined by the fact that you are blind, but it's, it's mm -hmm. your story is extraordinary because of what you've accomplished and everything that you've been through, but you lost your this sight in your say, quote unquote, good eye by, yes. by someone spraying you with a, with a water gun. Is that? Yes, it was a, it was a, a huge uh, super soaker. Uh, and it was literally, I, I always say to people, I can't stress this enough, a, a good friend of mine, who I feel no animosity towards whatsoever. <laughs> and um, we were playing in the backyard and he just, as a kid does, he just sprayed a friend, you know what I mean? And it's weirdly enough, it didn't hurt. Um, but you know how, when you're going underwater, you can see the water level kind yeah. of go over here. So when I went to the doctors the next day, I was like, ah, yeah, all day yesterday, I was seeing just this blurriness go over the, you know, my field of vision in my right eye. And he goes, oh, blessing, you were watching your retina detach. You know, and I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good at all, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't. So we went and had a bunch of surgery and did all this stuff. Uh, and for a while, some of the vision came back and then and then like complications from retinal detachment, like scarring in the back of the eye. And the eye was already like stitched together from the glaucoma with with different, 
you know, apparatuses and all this kind of stuff. So the eye just, it was too much for the thing to take, you know? So a lot of the vision in the right eye, the quote unquote good eye um, went because of that accident. Dude, I mean, it's it's one of those stories which are sort of, you know, I'm a parent myself. And I'm like, oh my God, like you hear that first of all. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's it. I'm getting rid of all the water guns. Um, but, but then you're like, but the fact that you just said, I have no animosity, that kind yeah. of attitude, it, it seems to be something that, I mean, you even started this whole conversation off with, and I came to America with this, you know, full heart and feeling happy about my what I had. It seems to be this is a way that you lead your life, you know, and I read about it over and over again. I mean, everything from your new album coming out, your new EP, I mean, it just, you know, brighter days and what have you. <laughs> Talk to us. I mean, so when, when, did, when did you then discover, okay, you're a kid, you're nine years old, you lose your yeah. sight completely, at that point, what you you're sitting at home? Thinking, <laughs> what am I going to do next? I can't run around the, the water gun. Did you find a piano? Yeah. Or? You know, it's funny because even before that, I had a a little toy piano, and I'm I'm sitting at my piano now. Nice. All right, so I had a toy piano, and then as a kid, I would just be like, you know what I mean? I'd be picking out little melodies and all this kind of stuff, and. Uh, my, my uncle was like, huh, okay. He seems, my uncle, I grew up with him. Yeah. So he seems to be taking this pretty seriously. So he would take me to piano lessons. And I remember my first couple of piano lessons I learned, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, he taught it to me the correct way, but I played it like this. You know what I mean? So she, and she'd say, why are you swinging that song? And I would say, I don't know, that's just what I want to do instead of, so for the non-musician swing. So yeah. Mozart did not write swung. <laughs> um, nobody, not Mozart, not Beethoven, not anybody in classical music wrote swung. You know what I mean? That was a very 20th, 20th century invention. Um, so jazz apparently was just the thing that my eight-year-old head wanted to do. So. She said to my uncle, hey, you should take him to get jazz piano lessons because he's playing jazz naturally, you know what I mean? So uh, then I went to jazz lessons and that's how the whole thing began. And like losing my vision at nine and 10 and 11, et cetera, I was like, wow, I have all this time on my hands and all this energy that I would normally be running around with. And then here's a piano in our living room, like a real piano. So I just hyper-focused. I poured all that energy into the piano and found it a very, very like cathartic, positive thing, and then just fell in love with the process of music. And here we are. Well, and here we are, like it was, like that was it. <laughs> and but here it, we are. At some point, it wasn't just a question of, you know, okay, I, I find it cathartic, but yeah. there must've been a moment too, when people were like, he's actually really good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this isn't just like him playing around. It's good for him. You know, it's, it's, it's cathartic for him. You know, it's, yeah. it's like, actually, other people want to listen yeah. to it again and again, <laughs> and, and, they, and they want to hear him. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. a, that's, a, that's a different moment in time, right? When did that happen? Man, so I, I, I'm going to give a shout out to my hometown, Hamden, Connecticut. I got really, really lucky to grow up in, in, in a very um, artistically friendly part of the world. Um, Hamden is right outside New Haven. New Haven is a huge jazz hub, uh, music arts scene. Uh, and the town, pretty early, the, the school system was like, this guy is really good at music. And so they put me in all the 
talented and gifted programs. And, and so I was identified early and always partnered with a teacher who would give me extra time with music. So instead of recess, I'd go home or I'd go to uh, the music room and, and play piano. Uh, and I got that choice. They'd say, hey, you can either go outside and hang with your friends or you can always, always come to the piano room and play piano. And I always picked the piano room. Uh, so from sixth grade, when this started through high school, I always had that as an option. And then in high school, I went to an arts magnet school in New Haven, Connecticut called ECA, Educational Center for the Arts. Um, and they taught me deeper levels of music than I could have even ever imagined. So I would say there's like a hyper growth point in high school when I did music at my high school and at the magnet school that I went to. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after that, I, you know, it was just, there's no, there's no going back. No. Shocking. I mean, it's just one of those things where you just like a light went off in you and you were, like, okay. you know, connecting all the dots with, yeah. because you, you're also a songwriter, right? So this is, I, do. I, you're, I you're, am. you're kind of doing it all. You're putting it all together. Was that something that you were doing back then too? Was it just the music? You know, it's funny because I, all the guys, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I, um, I grew up with my uncle. So when I was in first grade, second, third grade, my uncle was listening to like, Motown and and jazz and all this stuff so as a kid growing up with a with an adult like I listened to whatever he would listen to and when I'd go to school all my friends were listening to Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and my uncle was listening to like Teddy Pendergrass and and uh the Jacksons and and Stevie and Marvin and all these guys and so I remember bringing home a Barry or bringing to school a Barry White record <laughs> then my friends were like do you hear the new NSYNC? And I was like, do you know Barry White? And they'd be like, blessing, who is this old man that you're listening to? And, but that was just the music I, I grew up with in the house was like sure. this very, this very like retro uh, Motown 60s, 70s funk type stuff. And so that was deep, deep in me. Uh, and then, and then just kind of alongside that was all the pop stuff that was happening. And so I, I always conceived of songs as writing and performing. It was never just performing. It was like, oh, you create and then you perform what you create. So they always went hand in hand for me for some reason. Um, even to this day, I always tell people like, I sing to write and I write to sing, you know? What, what comes first? I mean, when you're doing something, is it, is it the hmm. lyrics and then you write the song or is it the song and then you do the lyrics or are they just simultaneously coming to you? It's funny, like, um, people speak lyrics more than they realize. So you just said, what comes first? And in my mind, if I took the phrase, what comes first, I could build a song out of that because all you take is a phrase and then you spin a story around that phrase, right? Mm. So what comes first could be a song about you asking somebody you care about what comes first, the heartbreak or, or, or the staying or the commitment or the leaving or, you know what I mean? So that's a song idea right there. So I just practice hearing songs everywhere. I want credit when you that song. <laughs> Co write. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's that that is it. it. I love that though. I so say it, it can go either way. It's sort of you hear mm -hmm. something, you, know, you hear a word, a phrase, just mm -hmm. is this happening every day. Are you constantly writing, or is it? it you know, you decide, <laughs> I'm going to write today. And you look things up, or you just. Yeah. I mean, what is the process? No. My calendar right now, it's, it's February 9th. My calendar is booked through April, mid-April. So every day at 11 a.m. or 10 a.m., I have a session. I had a session today from 11 to 2.30. Um, 
and that we wrote a song and I'm going to send that song into my, to my, to my guys. And it might be for me, but it might be for another artist. You know what I mean? So every day I just write songs because that's, that's my office. That's amazing. So when you talk about yeah. writing songs for other people, it may be for you, maybe for other people, obviously look, a lot of the top artists in the world write songs for other artists too. And yeah. I think sometimes people in the general public don't really realize it. And you hear after the yeah. fact that sort of, I don't know, nothing compares to you it was written by Prince yeah. for Sinead O'Connor and then he, he records it later. And you're like, Oh, wow. I just assumed that that artist did it. But when you are writing, do you ever actually think of, I want to write this for this artist and you write something very specific for their voice or something like that. Does that happen? You know, it's funny. Like um, the person I was writing with today, her name is Rachel Thibodeau. She's a really wonderful songwriter. Uh, I'm in Nashville. So anybody who lives in Nashville will know a song called good directions by uh, Luke uh, Bryant. And she wrote that. So her and I, we were, we started on this song and the idea or the, the title I said was Rachel, I had this idea in my head. It's called uh, Come Around Sundown, right? And there's a jazz song called Round Midnight, right? It's like, uh, uh, it begins to change round midnight, round midnight. I do pretty well to lack of sunrise. It's a very famous jazz standard. So they that song says Round Midnight, right? And I was like, man. And then there's a, there's a um, Kings of Leon record called Come Around Sundown. Mm-hmm. But Come Around Sundown is the name of the record and not a song. And I said, man, Come Around Sundown is a really great way to say Round Midnight. You know what I mean? And Round Midnight is about being okay in the daytime, but then missing somebody terribly around midnight, right? I do pretty well till after sundown. Supper time, I'm feeling fine, but it all goes around midnight. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. Uh, So I said to Rachel, what if we wrote a song called Come Around Midnight and use the kind of uh, come around sundown was what I said to her and use the round midnight concept. So we wrote a song today where in the verses it's the daytime and you're doing great. And in the sun and in the chorus or in the, in the refrain, you say, uh, come around midnight, come around midnight. And then I think our, our, our refrain said, uh, you'll find me in pieces. Uh, this town ain't never seen nobody as sad come around midnight or something like that. You know what I mean? Or come around sundown. So you just take a, you take a phrase, you take an idea, and you, you, man, it's in my head, it makes all the sense in the world. It's just what you do. You know, this, this phrase wraps up like this and here's the idea. So you come up with that idea. You've got those words now down. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you already writing the music in your head at the same time? Are you making that jingle too? So with her, I was sitting with my guitar on the couch. So we were, as we were talking it out, uh, we were writing it. Uh, it was like, Come around and yeah, it was like you know we were we were playing with the chords and we were doing all the bluesy stuff. You know, it's just kind of all. <laughs> I don't mean for it to sound like alchemy, but it's it's a lot of fun. You know, no, it, it should be alchemy. <laughs> I mean, I think to the average person, it is alchemy, no matter what you yeah. say. I mean, I, I I love it because everyone has their own sort of process, and it, it's a little different. And I must have interviewed. I don't know, dozens, if not more musicians. And they all say different things, actually. And, and the way you've just described it is one of the most personal ways I've ever heard anyone describe it, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. It's sort of, you really let me in on your process in, in a way that right. I've, I've, I've rarely heard. And you know, I, I, it's your, your sort of connection to it, the fact that you're sitting right now with that piano right there, the way you touch it and, and hit it, it is literally like you're, 
it's you. It's like it's like <laughs> yeah. it is your. It's it's like somehow is that how you feel too when you when you're writing? Is you how emotional is it for you? You know, after Rachel and I finished that song, we just sat back on the couch and we were like, it feels like a high. It feels like it feels like serotonin and and dopamine and all these things just they release in your brain and you feel like you're doing what you're meant to do. I I can only imagine it's not to be cliche, but it must be what 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 flowers feel like when they face the sun. They're just like, oh yeah, this is me. You know what I mean? It's it's just natural. That's it's a it's a beautiful thing. You know, you've done a a, a masterclass I see here about behind <laughs> the song series. Is that is this what you were doing on the masterclass? You were telling people this, this, giving them this? This is it. Yeah, now you got it. <laughs> you got a, we've got a masterclass people right here, right now. What was that like working with Masterclass? They've done very well for themselves too. Man, it you know what it is? It 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 people ask you questions and my favorite interviews are are when I get questions that make me think differently because because I I think a lot I'm a I'm a you know, I'm a nerd at heart. I music makes me seem really cool, but I'm not. I just I love to I love to like soak up information. I love reading and this, that, and the other thing. So uh, my, my brain can reel off answers really easily, but I love when questions make me like trip me up. And when I did that, they asked me some really, really great questions. You know, like, what would you tell somebody doing this, that, and the other? So it was really good to, to dig deeper than the surface stuff, you know? Explaining songwriting is really beautiful because you, you could give a cliche answer, but you would feel it, you know what I mean? But I love when I have to explain something in such a way that makes me get out of my like analytical brain and into the passionate side, you know? Well, normally I ask that question and I get an answer which doesn't leave me feeling like I actually have any idea of the process at all. You know, it's yeah. sort of, it's like, oh, I, you know, um, I, I feel something, I hear something, I write something down and then, you know, you don't, and that doesn't leave the, 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 the listener or anyone who's listening to it realize that or think oh that's that's how i could that now do it you know and, and i always think of my kids you know i've got like a, a 13 year old daughter and i've got a 16 year old son and you know they both play musical instruments and my daughter loves to sing and get involved and it's you know how to inspire them and how to take it to that next level and you know my son's found art recently and he's become a sort of a, a, an artist and he's finding a little bit of success with that and you know do you feel with yourself like you know your art form of, of of writing music is that something which you know how do you share that with people outside of just writing music and, and creating it do you you know obviously with master classes and things like that yeah. but do you are you mentoring people at this stage in your life as well it's funny like i was talking to rachel and we said that we you know rachel is had way more success than me and she is one of the first we say a-list writers to ever let me in a room and this was right around when the voice was happening, actually. Um, and she, I, I had no credits to my name. I was just kind of, you know, trying to figure out myself. And she's like, yeah, I'll write with you. And those people mean the world because they, they sign on for, for it when no one else has and no one else has any reason to, you know. Um, it was her and it was a woman named Natalie Hemby, who I, I wrote a song called Tin Roof with. And Natalie, these are like top of top of the, you know, top of the hill, so to speak. And I, it will, no matter what I accomplish in my life, when I give credit to the people I need to give, give credit to Rachel and Natalie will always be up there because I mean, their cachet, their reputation, their name recognition, they like lent to me to help me up. And so in that same way, whenever I can, 
give someone advice, let, you know, bring someone into a room, I always try to do the same thing because that's the only way to pay it forward, so to speak. You, you just mentioned the voice yourself and, you know, I, you know, people obviously know that about you, but, I mean, you know, you just touched on it, but what was that like? I mean, you know, season seven, I mean, I, my career has been in reality television. I'm well aware of a lot of these competition shows mm -hmm. and I understand how that can feel to some extent, but <laughs> you got a, you know, I was one of the judges, so I got to sit on the other side. I was, I was the, nice. you know, the lucky one. You were that contestant. <laughs> First of all, what decided, what made you think, let me go for the voice? And then what was that moment like? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I had done the, they call it a cattle call. The, in, sure. 2000, in 2011, I'd done the go to the stadium and, and hope for the best thing. And I got through a couple of rounds and they liked me and I liked them. And when I realized it was a year long process, I was just like, never mind. You know what I mean? Like from first audition to put, potentially tv is a whole year wow and so they explained that to me i was like you know i i'm i'm committed to doing the songwriting artist hustle and you know i i don't have a year to spare like i really i need to pay rent i was living in new york city at the time and so three years later through a series of events they approached me again and again at this point i i wasn't he, where i am now but i was stuff was happening and i was like okay this is a viable living option I can do this and feed myself. Uh, and I thought the voice is great exposure. And that was my only thought. Yeah. I, I write songs and sing. I, at that point I did it at a, I did it relatively well, I'd like to think, but I, I thought nothing would be hurt by being on national television, you know? It only helps. So I did the voice uh, as a means of furthering my singing songwriting career. If, I, if we're all being super honest. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, that's the, no, no better reason than that. I mean, I think that, you know, even myself as a photographer, as a, you know, I had no idea about really being on television, but I thought, how am I going to become a well-known photographer in a different realm, in a different way? And also the world was changing. Social media was about to launch. And I thought, well, OK, something like being on primetime television, all yep. of a sudden you become known immediately at least your name and who you are becomes known. And then it's up to me to prove myself with my talent after the fact. And, you know, you got up there and you had a, a four judge chair turn, right? Which is a pretty big deal and chose to go with Pharrell Williams team. Yeah. What was that experience like? What was it like working with him? You know, it's funny. First thing I always say is I give away a little bit of the secret. The bams don't happen on stage. So immediately after everybody, you know, the crowd was like, Woo! so I was like, okay, something good happens, but you know what? So Adam goes, you must be really excited. I'm like, uh, for what? <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, bro, I'm so sorry. You had four chair turns. And I was like, so I don't think Adam realized I was blind. Uh, and I was just like, mm. and so they, I'm sure they edited that. Cause I don't think they want to give away the fun of, you know, the fact that, you know, when you see the show, you hear the bam, 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 but in, in the shooting that doesn't happen you know what i mean so wow uh, it was it was <laughs> really really funny because i think he felt really bad which i, I don't care but you know that's hilarious I mean, that's funny because you know you, there's so many things that happen on television that everyone the audience sees it as one thing and it's actually mm -hmm. a completely different thing in reality so so then going into it then did you it was it all that you expected it to be or you know i mean obviously it's it's, it's like it's you know the past right now but it's, it's yeah. you know obviously a lot of people are very curious about this world yeah it it you know I went into it first and foremost as kind of a professional singer songwriter already. So I think a lot of people go into it like, I want to show the world that I do this, 
Whereas I already knew I did that. So I went into it saying, I want to be on TV as long as possible. <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, a, a mercenary approach, so to speak. Like, I know I sing and write songs. After the show is done, I'm going to go back to singing and writing songs. I want to be on TV as long as possible. So uh, I kind of was aware that TV isn't what it looks like. And so I was kind of prepared for all that. Uh, there's a moment when Blake Shelton said to me, um, you know, he's like, well, I, you know, I've heard of you from Nashville. No one's really worried about you. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel like there's some aspect of me being on the show where everybody was like, everybody who knew me anyway, they were like, okay, this is blessing. He is on TV to be on TV, but we know what he does. You know what I mean? Pharrell, I think, I, I hope I, he would agree saw that same thing where he was like okay like this is this is exposure but you're you're a musician obviously so he was he got it it was really cool to hang out with him and pick his brain and and you know adam was the same thing adam was really really sweet to my to my cousin he took a bunch of pictures with her for her friends she was really cool i was a cool you know cousin for a minute um you know but at the end of the day in my mind i was like okay cool i'm gonna do this and then when this is over, I'm going to go back to New York and write songs some more because that's what we do. But you would obviously try to be on TV to get that element of fame in order to monetize it or capitalize on it some in some Correct. shape or form. It wasn't just like, you know, getting pictures with your, with your, with your cousin or right. doing that kind of stuff. I mean, it's right. it's it's obviously with that. You know, did it did it parlay? Did it actually translate to more work? It did uh, wonderfully so, uh, and really more. I got a, I got a, an agent. My first agent was off the show, um, and then I actually moved back to Nashville because of an opportunity that came from that. So, and then Nashville's where I eventually signed my deal, and here we are. So let's talk about Nashville. We're going to yeah. talk about Nashville because you're this, you're, you know, you sound like this New Yorker, and, and I, <laughs> the way you talk, it's like, and I've, I've talked to a lot of country stars in my time. And, yeah. You know, they have a certain thing. Nashville has a certain yeah. allure, but you know, yeah. you you love jazz, and that's definitely yeah. a New York, you know, vibe. And yeah. being in Nashville it doesn't necessarily seem like that kind of kind of thing. I mean, do you find it is it home? What were you looking for in Nashville? You know, so I, I grew up in Connecticut, Northeast. the op The options were Berkeley or Belmont University immediately, and I thought. I know I want to be a musician. I don't want to go somewhere so close to home that I can change my mind. Mm. So I didn't want to go to Berkeley because that's only a 90 minute train ride from home, you know? So I wanted to drag myself across the country because I was too deep to change my mind quickly. If I, for some reason had a bad week, you know? Sure. So I went to Nashville for that purpose and because no one knew me in Nashville and I didn't know anybody in Nashville and I wanted to see how good I was, you know? When, when you grew up in a place, they're very vested in your well-being, right? And so they might, you know, their opinions might be a little soft, you know what I mean? Whereas wow. when you go to a whole new town and they don't care, they'll tell you if you're terrible. <laughs> and, and, you know, my uncle was a lawyer and all my family has like advanced degrees. So if I was bad, I needed to go get a degree really fast, you know? That's so interesting. You really put yourself out there. And I love the fact that you were challenging yourself at that point, because I mean, a lot of people would perhaps take the softer option, but it's, you wanted oh, the truth, you wanted the, the honest truth. And, but also, I mean, did, did you find that your music was accepted? I, I was, I always wrote songs like, uh, like 
stupid chords. You know what I mean? Chords that like were cool for jazz heads, right? <laughs> but meant nothing for like the normal person. And when I came to Nashville, I showed them all my chords and they didn't care, you know? Uh, and I thought something isn't connecting. But then I would go out and I would listen to guys on guitars playing one, four, five chords and the room would cry. And it, it did this, Nashville did this thing to me where it taught me what songs were versus what, um, what jazz was, if, I, if that's a crude analogy, but mm. friends in low places or, or um, I always used to make you feel my love, right? Let's see. Let's see uh... When the rain is blowing in your face and the whole world is on your case, I could offer you a warm embrace to make you feel my love, right? That yeah. is, that's a phrase. And, you know, he could have gone, he could have gone. Uh, when the rain is right? But that doesn't do anything except what he chose to do was like the simplest of the things just to communicate his melody and his lyrics to you because he wasn't like, look at all the chords I know, or look at how fancy my melodies were. He was just like, feel this emotion. And as a jazz head, I am so used to making people feel emotions with my chords and my slick melodies that Nashville taught me that words matter more than anything. You know, so Nashville immediately made me simplify everything I'd ever learned. Not to say it wasn't, there wasn't room for it, but like control is the ability to do just what is needed to accomplish the project, right? If the project is to communicate an emotion, maybe I only need three chords, you know? And so all of a sudden Nashville was this like finishing process, you know? Okay, Blessing, you know, all this fancy stuff, but what if 95% of it is unnecessary 95% of the time? <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, yeah, it was, Nashville was, and still, continues to be like a really, really wonderful growth place for me. So let's get into brighter days. I mean, you've got mm -hmm. this, this, this new EP that's dropping and, and, and by the way, everyone who's listening, if you're listening on, this is the first day of the release of this podcast, it drops tomorrow. Otherwise yeah. it's out right now. So you're listening to it when this comes out. Um, brighter days, talk to us. It's, it's, it's six, um, what, six songs are on this EP? What, six what's songs. There? Uh, six songs on the EP. Uh, man, it's it's a we wanted to we wanted to do a really good uh, record for introduction because honestly, this is the first it's the first thing we've put out like on a major label, and so I said I really want to just introduce people to myself, you know. So that's that's the goal. Hopefully, by the time you finish the EP, you go, oh, I I have a way better idea of who blessing is now and, and when it comes down to the whole thing and i've listened to your songs and i've watched mm -hmm. your music videos and things are you you know what who is is helping you with styling and the, and the, <laughs> the what is the what it would take us Nigel. part of it because it's a big part of the of the of the presentation of a music artist Nigel, are you implying that i need help with styling 
I am not. I'm, I just want to know, like, was that something that you would that that was just you that you were like, this is how I'm going to rock this look and this video? I mean, you know, that, no, no. there's a lot that goes into this. Come on now. No, I have a really great stylist. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> no, no, none of that was just me. Credit to the entire team. Her name is MJ. She's she's really, really just great. Um, yeah, I <laughs> know that's funny. It's well, you, it's, it sounds funny, but people, some artists are uniquely yeah. have their own style and have their own vibe, and that, that's and they were always like that. They were yeah. whatever they were. They've been doing it since high school or whatever it is, yeah. and they kind of got, got that. Others are like your. I'm not saying that you're necessarily like this, but I have met plenty of artists who literally haven't got a clue about how they're going to dress and then a stylist dresses them and they come out and it's like, oh, you know, and that's how they're seen. That's their public persona because every time they go out or they go on stage, there's a team. And it, but when they go home, they're in sweats. You know what I mean? It's not them. Um, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of in between. I love sweats. I'm in sweats right now, to be honest. <laughs> so like, uh, but my, me and the stylist and everybody, we kind of got together and they're like, blessing, who do you look up to? And the good thing about having seen for, for such a long time and still having like a little tiny vision of my right eye, like I, you, you can say to me, do you want to wear orange and brown? And I'd be like, no, no, I don't. You know what I mean? So there was a, like, I could say to somebody, oh, okay, here's the, let's go for this, like, you know, Marvin Gaye-ish, a casually carelessly elegant vibe you know what I mean like that's what we want to go for we want we don't want to we're not like um we're not trying to be on the runway every two seconds but we want to look like we put some effort into it uh but also let's we're here to be comfortable and make people comfortable so you know the the style is is a is a solid collaboration uh between me and 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 a really really wonderful stylist so if it approves, uh, if it meets with your approval, then that's what happened. It, it, <laughs> you get credit. I thought you looked, you rocked it. You looked amazing. That's why I was like, <laughs> when I saw it too, I'm like, ooh, this, you know, this, the guy looks amazing. I mean, everything, the, the whole presentation, guys, when you see the brighter days, the video, the, the, the cover art, everything, it looks sensational. I mean, you look, it really is fantastic. So congratulations on it. Talk to me about Brighter Days, the song. Where does it come from? You know, uh, Credit to Sam Ellis, wonderful co-writer and producer. Um, he and I sat and the concept Brighter Days is such that like, if you don't do it right, it can come off like ugh, cheesy, you know, like disingenuous. So we said, if you're gonna, if the end result is gonna be, I know there's gonna be some brighter days. We have to give people a contrast to that, to that saying, to make that saying not feel gross and, and, and not feel uh canned or or disingenuous for lack of a better word so you know i was like dude let's really dig into these verses and say something worth saying uh you know ashes fall from burning dreams is a harsh opening line you know what i mean yeah. I never lived through times like these you know if you're trying hard to breathe in the dark i know there's going to be some brighter days you know when i when we wrote those lines the chorus felt good to sing contrasted to the the kind of the the realness of the verses you know and that's kind of my thing is if you hang out with me for any kind of length of time you'll realize that like I can talk to you about some hard stuff and my my joy my happiness is not a like a pie in the sky kind of thing it's 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 like it's been forged through some fire so the the realness of that I think hopefully translates because it's not a 
warm, fluffy, meaningless thing. It's a, it's a real thing, you know? I love it. It's a great song. Look, you, before we let you go, we've got something on this show called Last Orders. You've been holding, you're holding his camera up, people. So if you're uh, not watching this, which by the way, you can watch God. the show on, you, on YouTube, on Shaken and Stern, you can see just how great job he's, he's uh, actually been doing with this. Amazing how you being as steady as you are. You've got your arm muscles uh, are quite well developed in your shoulders. I'm well arms. impressed. <laughs> It's a workout, you guys. It is a workout being on the Shaken and Stirred show, but he's got his other hand and he's, you know, that's like the never ending drink is all I can tell because you keep <laughs> sipping on it and I, I don't understand how it's still going. But listen, let me get to it. If you could drink any cocktail from any movie or television show with a character from that show, what and who would it be? You got, this is going to sound, I grew up on The Simpsons, so I would just drink a beer with Homer Simpson. <laughs> I love it. I bet you've never heard that before. I've never heard that yeah. before. No one's ever, I would, ever I would, answered I would that. I would drink one. a beer. I would drink a beer with Homer Simpson. That's it. Oh my God, that's brilliant. All right. Um, who would play you if you had to do the movie of your life? Who would you like <laughs> to have play you? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. You know. I'm just gonna say Denzel Washington's son. I forgot his name, but he's 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 getting like a little buzz right now. So I'm gonna pick him. Just sheer vanity there you go i like that and i like it you're a little mercenary it's all good um, <laughs> fantasy dinner party three guests could be dead or alive who would they be churchill abraham lincoln james baldwin wow okay that's a really <laughs> and and you said churchill was the first one right winston churchill yep why winston churchill i'm I'm a history nerd, like obsessed. World War II, like World War One, World War II, you know, the causes, et cetera, Versailles Treaty, all this kind of stuff. I, I, I can't tell you how many books on my phone right now about that subject that, that I read through on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So I think Churchill's utterly fascinating. Do you have a favorite quote from Churchill? Uh, what's that speech he gave where it's like, you know, we'll fight him on the beaches and on the, you know, he does that whole list yeah. of things. I'm really bad at that. But, but that guy, like if there was ever a man meets the moment, it, you know, I, can you imagine the world minus Churchill? No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, he's a legend in his own time for sure. He, um, he's, you know. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, he said, I'm not the lion. I'm just happy to give the roar. Yeah. You know, what I, you remember that quote? You know, and I thought that was. There's, there's so many quotes. I grew up at school yeah. with all the different quotes that he had. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, just some extraordinary. One of my favorite ones is when Nancy Astor basically was, was talking to him and she, in, in government. She was the first female politician. And, you know, she looked at him and she said, to, you know, said to him, Churchill, you're a disgrace. You're drunk. Yep. I know what yeah. you're going to say. And he turned around and said, I might be drunk, but you're ugly. And in the morning, I'll be sober. Uh, <laughs> there's a shaken and stirred version for you with a cocktail. Oh my God. Um, well, you know, a classic one from him. All right. So talking about that, go to drinking song. You've got to have one. Friends in low places. There you go. Okay. Yep. Friends in low places. Perfect. Perfect addition. And the final question, shaken or stirred? Shaken. Shaken. And why are we shaken? I mean, stirred is just so... I don't know. Boring. I want, I want shaken. That's all I need. Shaking it up right here. Blessing <laughs> offer 
Mate, Brighter Days. It was released on February 25th. Yes. So check it out. Where can people get it? Just everywhere and anywhere? Literally everywhere and anywhere. Follow me on all the socials. Blessing Offer, Blessing Offer Music. It's either one of those two. Uh, Nigel, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, it's been a real pleasure, mate. A real pleasure. Despite our technical difficulties at the very beginning, <laughs> which, you know what, in this digital world we live in, it's not a shocker. Yeah. But you no, are, sir, it is not. <laughs> you are an amazing man. It's real, a, a real pleasure to get to know you. I, I'm so impressed just with everything you've achieved. But the, the, the thing I like about you the most is just you're so down to earth, straightforward and kind. And I love that. So cheers. Mutual, sir. Cheers. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Cheers properly. There you go. Boom. Cheers. Cheers, my <laughs> friend. All the best. Good luck with everything. And I will be watching. Have a good day, my friend. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. This podcast was produced and edited by Embassy Row.